Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. God is so good, isn't he? Aren't you fired up to be here today? Listen, if you're at 12 Stone Live here in the room, Hamilton Mill, come on. So good to be together today. 12 Stone Home, y'all should be high-fiving each other. A great, you picked a great day. We are at the front of a new series. Grab your Bibles. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Now listen. You, you can grab a Bible, you can get on a mobile device. Uh, I'm going to have them all on the screen, the scriptures for today. But over the summer, during my summer break, God didn't speak audibly, but he, but he could have and it wouldn't have been more clear. PK, Kevin, I, I want you to teach through the book of Ephesians. I want that to be the false series. So here we are. Listen, you, God is going to use this book of Ephesians Six chapters, 155 verses, some 3,022 words. He's going to use that to wake some things up. There are prayers you've been offering to God. He's going to answer them in a unique way. He's going to speak into your character. He's going to settle some things in the midst of uncertainty and the unknowns. God's going to, God's going to form some things in your marriage and relationship. God's going to do stuff in you you've been waiting for God to do. He's going to continue to transform you. If you'll get in this series, if you'll do the things God's inviting you to, oh my gracious, this will probably become one of your favorite series in the history of our church together. We're going to spend 15 weeks, hang on, 15 weeks on this. We're going to 12 weeks in, take a break for Christmas, and then in January finish up three more weeks, and, and we're going to dive in to what wakes us up to the size of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Let's go. Come on. Let's get to it. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We're starting where it starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Paul's already making it clear. Look, look this, I'm not building a business. This isn't a company. This is the church, the kingdom of God. I'm an apostle. Let me say it this way. 12 Stone, this isn't a business. 12 Stone is not a business. It's a church. I'm not a CEO. I'm a pastor. And we are here to do the will of God. We are here to please God and do the will of God. We are here to please God and do the will of God. Everybody, 12 Stone Home, 12 Stone Live, Hamilton Mill, y'all say that with me. We are here to please God. Say that. We are here to please God and do the will of God. Say it. And do the will of God. We're his church. And Paul goes on. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, he's writing to a group of people where the church is in Ephesus and surrounding, to God's holy people. Now, we are not holy in and of ourselves. We've been made holy through the work of Jesus Christ. His perfect holiness through his sacrifice now is an exchange for our sin and his holiness. He covers us. We're made new in him. Oh, my gracious, how amazing is God for us. So to God's holy people, and we endeavor to be faithful to him. 
Now, let me just pause. I know there are many of you, Tollstone Live, Tollstone Home, you're spiritually unresolved. Even what we're reading, you, you don't believe yet. You don't believe necessarily in God, and if you do, not in Jesus. You don't believe he's God's son. You don't believe he's the, the source of truth. You don't believe he's the only way to the Father, and your only hope is salvation. We're so glad you're here, truly. Many of us were where you are now. You're seeking, you're searching. Know this, you're not coming to God on your own initiative. God's drawing you. And we pray that you come to know him. There's nothing like being freed up and forgiven in Christ. So stay in this journey, but I want you to know something. When I read these words to you, they are words about God. For us, they are the words of God. Oh my, don't confuse this. When we read, these aren't Paul's words. The Holy Spirit spoke through the Apostle Paul and spoke in the words of life. These are God's words. When we read them, and everybody who follows Christ knows that and believes that, and if they don't, they're not following Christ. So the weight of this and the strength of this is powerful, life-giving and transforming. That's how we read it. He goes on. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Everybody say that with me. What is it? Grace and peace. We'll camp on that all day. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is our Father. That's where we have our identity, in him. Oh, we live in a world that people get their identity from their career or their title, or, or they get their identity from their, from their stuff or their success or from their popularity or their sexual preference, and on and on goes the list in our culture. This is my identity. But what is settled here is that our identity is in God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, he's our Lord. It's who we are. That's the church. You can celebrate that. Absolutely. And what we receive is grace and peace. God gives grace that redeems us and peace that sustains us. Now, these are big words in Scripture. Let me walk through. Let me give it. Maybe, maybe the idea of grace isn't clear. So let me put a little picture. Grace is the undeserved favor of God to forgive and bless. Jot it down if you need to. Get this in your head and your heart. When it says grace, it is this undeserved favor. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But who God is in his nature, it is the heart of God. To grant a favor to us through Christ, forgive us, and God blesses us. Oh, hang on. So when you say grace and peace, it means you've received his grace, but then you are a giver of his grace to others. It's who the church is. Recipients and carriers of grace. Grace and peace. What do you mean by peace? Peace is conflict resolved. We have peace with God, plus we have the peace of God, his tranquility and security regardless of circumstance. Just look at that for a moment. Jot it down if you need to get this in your head and your heart. Push pause if you're at home. You're like, I gotta write that down. Peace is conflict resolved. We have peace with God. It's all been dealt with and taken care of. We're in harmony with him. Thanks be to God through Jesus. Plus, we have the peace of God. That is, we have the tranquility and the security of God no matter circumstances. That's why, that's why Philippians 4 says that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we have peace with one another. Grace and peace. Those are the answers to three of life's big questions. And we're going to get to that in a few moments. But I recognize that it is sometimes complex 
to understand the Bible. If you don't know the story and you don't know the flow, when I say we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, you don't necessarily know where that sits in the Bible. So I'm going to give just a brief context here. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul around 60 to 62 AD. And when we study that book, in fact, what you would need to know is way back here in the book of Acts, chapters 18 to 20, we read all about Ephesians. Ephesians was formed as a church by Paul, the church planter, in around 52 AD. Then there's some details that matter, but we don't have time for it. And then he spent about three years pastoring and building the church. Then he put Timothy as the pastor over the church. And therefore, the book 1 Timothy was written somewhere around 56 to 57 A.D. And Timothy had to lead the church that Paul planted. And around 60 to 62, the letter was written to the Ephesians. Just to give you, if you will, a flow of time. And 2 Timothy... The other book in the Bible that seems to pair, it certainly pairs with 1 Timothy. This was written later. This was written in about 64 to 66 AD. You don't need to know all this time in history. There's not going to be a test later on this to see whether or not you pass and get to go to heaven. I'm just giving you an idea of how this flows. Some would even put 1 Timothy right here, but not likely. 1 Timothy is probably the last book that Paul wrote, and it was part of Timothy's leadership over the church in Ephesus. Now, what's interesting is is that the Apostle John likely, at least according to tradition, it's not proven, but according to tradition, became a part of the church in Ephesus and actually wrote the Gospel of John while he was there for 2nd and 3rd John. But then he was exiled to the island of Patmos and around 95 AD is when he wrote the book of Revelation. And in chapter 2 of Revelation, it is a message to the church at Ephesus. What I want you to see is when we sit in this book, it's so central to all that God's doing, and that's how Scripture lays out in timeline. It just gives you a sense of it. We'll be doing a lot of things, including occasionally some cool supplemental things. Now, Ephesus, where the church of Ephesians lived, it was a port city, and it was culturally influential, kind of like a New York City of its day. And Travis Billman thought, hey, we should help the church understand if this is Overview Sunday of the book of Ephesians. So, for your education and entertainment, I give you Travis, New York City, Billman. Oh, hey, what's up, guys? Bobby J here. Who wants to talk about Ephesians? Let's get after it. All right. So like 30 years after Jesus died, Paul writes this letter to the church in the city of Ephesus. And right off the bat, he's like, what's up? I'm Paul, praise Jesus. And then he goes to work talking about all the things that God's done for them. Like he chose them, he adopted them, he gave them redemption, he forgave their sins, yada, yada, yada. All the big words, basically. Then he tells me he's been praying for them. Like God, give them wisdom, help them to know you better. Help them to know that there's this power living inside them. Oh, which, by the way, happens to be the very same power that God used when he literally raised Jesus back from the dead, bro. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Then 
in chapter two, he gets all teleological and he goes to work talking about how we used to be dead inside, but now because of Jesus, we're alive just like he's alive. And that's not an offer just for the Jews. That's for literally everyone. So now, if you're a Jew or a Gentile, uh, this guy, we don't have to be complaining about our differences because we're on the same team. All right. So then in chapter three, he's like, yo, us being on the same team's weird, right? It's like a totally new concept because God used to only work through Israel, but now through Jesus, literally everyone is invited to be a part of this mystery called the church. And Paul's like, yo, this church is what I'm all about. I'm giving my life for this junk, right? Then he prays for them again. And he's like, you guys who didn't grow up Jewish, you can't understand how much God loves you, right? His love is like four dimensional. It's like wide and long and deep and east and west and all that jazz. You guys gotta get that in your heads. So chapter four, he starts to hammer home how we've got to work together because Jesus gave us all these different personalities and people to work together to show the world what Jesus is like. That means we got to look different now. We're not a bunch of jack legs going around doing whatever we want to do. We look different, all right? So stop lying. Stop blowing your tops all the time. Stop with the dirty talk. You got to start working hard. You got to start being kind to each other. All that jazz. Then in chapter five, he keeps rolling with the practical stuff. He's like, yo, you guys stop being a bunch of pervs because that's who you were, but that's not who you are, all right? You gotta stop walking around blind because the lights have been turned on in your life, right? Jesus rose you back from the dead, bro. You better be thankful for that. So make the most of this new life, right? Husbands, wives, stop trying to figure out who's first and just serve each other. It's easy. Then the last chapter, chapter six, he keeps going. He's like, kids, you gotta obey your parents. Dads, quit making your kids hate you so much. Then he ends the whole book by saying, yo guys, you gotta understand, this is war, right? We gotta suit up like full armor style because we're fighting the devil here, no joke. All right, so I'ma pray for you, you pray for me. We'll go out there, we'll kick this guy's teeth in. Oh, then he's like, tell Tychicus I said, what's up? And he's like, I'll see you when I see you. Deuces. And that's basically Ephesians. <laughs> uh, don't you know that the Apostle Paul wishes he had Travis Billman? In fact, how many of you would just say by applause, let's have Travis do every book of the Bible like that so you can walk through the Bible? Yeah, you go, Travis. <laughs> oh, have mercy. Grace and peace. <laughs> we got to teach something here. It was a common greeting in the church, grace and peace, but it had deep meaning. And it really answers three of life's big questions. Let me put the questions. You have to know the answer to these questions truthfully, clearly, consistently in your life because you're navigating this all the time. This is what you navigate every day of your life. What's over my head? What's below the surface? What's on the line? There are things over your head. You don't have control over anything. You can't solve anything. How do you navigate a world that's over your head simultaneously? There's stuff below the surface that bubbles up. You got to deal with you underneath the surface and all that is that is in angst and good, bad, and ugly. And, and, and what's on the line? What's the most important stuff? Because you because you, you got to deal with all the mess of life. And you say, okay, now what's most important? Well, well let's talk about it. What's over your head? See, every day you wake up and you're in desperate need for oxygen, water, the sun. All that's over your head. 
You didn't create it. You don't control it. And you didn't make it happen. But you depend on it entirely. Have you thought about it? Even the good things in life, many of them are over your head. What do you do in a world that's over your head? Paul would say, give thanks to God for his amazing grace. Jaden, or rather, Braden, my grandson, 19 months ago, was born and was oxygen deprived in the birthing process. And many of you remember that story. And he was in trouble. And issues of questions of uncertainty and brain damage. And he was in ICU. And it was over our heads, over the doctor's heads. And y'all prayed, thousands of you. And God healed that little boy. We were playing together last weekend, and he is, if anything, ahead of the curve. That is the kindness of God, but it was all over our head. What do you do in a world when you need God to do things that are over your head? Well, you go to God, and you give thanks and praise to the God who is operating over your head, who's bigger than you, dealing with bigger things in the midst of things like COVID that destabilize so much. Not Home Depot. They're doing quite well. But, but, but a lot of other companies are suffering greatly, and maybe you're in the midst of that, and who knows where this is going to go with small business and large business and travel, and who knows where this is going to go in the market of, uh, of the economics and how this all plays out with sports and concerts and gatherings and even in the life of church and schools and half the kids are in, half the kids are out, and, and what, all of this uncertainty, and it weighs on you, and it's over your head, and you can't reach it, you can't control it, you can't solve it, you live in that world. How do you live in that? And Paul talks about that with just one sentence in chapter 1, verse 4 of Ephesians. Look at this with me. He's talking about God, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Where? When? Before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world. Now, we'll pick that up next week, but I want you to see something. Before the creation of the world, to be his, to be holy and blameless in his sight. What I want you to see right here is Paul saying, by the way, just so you know, there's so many things over your head, but, but God was working on things, big things that were over your head before you were ever created. That's how big God is. Therefore, when things are over your head, they're still in his hands. Come on. It's who he is. Yes, it's over your head, but it's still in his hand. God's still doing things that are way out of reach. So you live with his grace and his peace. Because while it's over your head, it's still in his hands. That's why Paul wrote, almost like a confirmation of the power of God and offered this prayer. Look at the prayer offer now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Now you have his peace when things are over your head. Now I was compelled in prep and I'm going I'm to take the moment. Would you bow your heads? I'm not done teaching. We're just going to pause. Just bow your heads. You're close on home. You're one of the campuses. Father, right now, for all who would take this privileged moment with you, offer up to God what's over your head, what's weighing on you, what's uncertain, what you can't control, what's worrying you, where your anxiety is. And God, we, we lift that up to you. I pray for your peace that transcends all understanding to transform us. 
to bring the tranquility and security of your spirit along with us, even in the midst of circumstances that are over our head. And we give you thanks for the grace that forgives and the grace that grants favor. So as Paul offered it over the church at Ephesus, I offered over our church and all who would receive it. God, give us more of your grace and more of your peace. In Jesus' name. What's over your head? Right back to the teaching. What's over your head? We got to settle that in life. The second question is, what's below the surface? Now, in this COVID season of almost feeling controlled, then you're most out of control. And with that is often this sense of sometimes discouragement, if you're honest. I mean, I have. Anyone, anyone been discouraged? Anyone felt any discouragement at all in the season of COVID? It's okay. Raise your hand. You, you, look, you look around your room at, at 12 Stone Home. I can see it here around this room, Hamilton Mill, wherever you, of course you have. Sometimes in a funk, depressed. Sometimes you just feel defeated. And what's under the surface can bubble up this angst, if not anger, if not hostility. We've talked about this. And when you can't control things around you, you try and control the smaller things. If you can't control the bigger things, you try to control people. And hostility can build below the surface. Now, church, in my study break, I knew what I was going to teach right now at this moment, at this point in the notes. And the Lord's messed with that over the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to honor the God prompt and I'm going to talk plainly, um, maybe unpolished, regarding some prompts of the Lord. So let me talk. And if when I'm done, you can follow or unfollow. But I'm really clear about the next 50 days. I got a note in the mail, personal note from a 12 stoner. Here's what it said. Just a handwritten note. PK, I think we are living in the most VUCA moment any leader has ever faced. VUCA. What does he mean, VUCA? Well, I'll put it on the TV if it helps you. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. The confluence of the pandemic, racial unrest, and divisive political election have created a perfect storm of hurricane force. I'm sure there are many voices telling you what to say, what to do, and why you are getting it wrong. I'll stop right there. (laughs) He's right. Last six months, so many voices telling me what to say and what to do and how to lead. And so many voices saying, this is how you're doing it wrong. And you're probably right. I certainly lead imperfectly. And I'm going to take a moment to tell you what a lot of those voices or some of those voices have said. Now, listen, this, these are literal examples, and you'll see why it's almost impossible to lead right now. It, this is not the majority of you. The majority of you are just in the battle and, and, and together we're figuring out how to navigate and win and get to the other side. But, but see, what goes under the surface creates such a hostility, such a frustration, such a discouragement, such a, and the social distancing and all that goes with it in the election and the, and, and the racial unrest. So I'm just going to read emails, 
conversations, phone calls that have come. Uh, PK, I'm leaving 12 Stone because you did not open the church fast enough. How many people do you want to keep losing? PK, I'm leaving 12 Stone because you opened the church too fast. <laughs> I'm leaving 12 Stone if you don't mandate masks. I'm leaving 12 Stone because you did not mandate masks. I'm leaving 12 Stone because you did not say Black Lives Matter enough times. I'm leaving 12 Stone because you did not say the Black Lives Matter organization's statement of beliefs is anti-Christian like you did four years ago. I'm, I'm leaving 12 Stone because you had communion on stage with your Black 12 Stone friends. That was too far. I'm leaving 12 Stone because you don't have more black people on stage. You haven't gone far enough. I'm leaving 12 Stone because you didn't say enough for whites. You didn't say enough for blacks. And then I wonder, why not the Koreans and the Romanians and the Indians and the Hispanics? I mean, we are a multi-ethnic church, by the way. I'm leaving 12 Stone because you did not speak up for Republicans. I'm leaving 12 Stone because you did not speak up for Democrats. I don't have to make any of this up. Church, in the last six months, I've experienced the most hostility, personally and pastorally, than at any other time in my 32 years of pastoring this church. And so I want to speak plainly and quite unpolished. I love you. I really do. I love being a part of this church. I, I, I love serving you. I, if you knew how I prayed for you, what I would do for your sake to experience the transforming life of Jesus and walk in it for his glory. I love you. But I'm... You're very kind. You're very kind. Uh, of course you would. Of course you would. It, it, it's who you are. It's a mutual love. So let me, let me stay with my flow. But I'm your pastor, not your politician. Amen. And the world takes their cues from culture, but I do not. I take my cue from Christ. And I'm not figuring out what to say on the weekends or to you by checking polls. I'm figuring it out by sitting in prayer. In church, I am not going to diminish my calling to join the hostilities of social media. I'm not doing it. Just hang on. And I'm not going to bow to the threats 
of well-intentioned, well-meaning 12 stoners or now ex-12 stoners who walk away because I did not capitulate to their agenda and say all their trigger words on a weekend. I'm not compelled to build my spiritual leadership around pleasing you first. To the best of my efforts, I'm trying to please Christ. And when we, I get these multiple threats that we're going to leave the church and quit giving, honestly, I think in my mind, is that, is, is that what you think of me? I pastored this church when there were 57 people for a really long time. Marsh and I pastored the church. It, we, we're not threatened by the size of the church, large or small. God can add 10,000 or shrink it by 10,000. We're still going to serve. He's in charge. It's his church. He can build it any way he wants. So in a sense, I just want you to know that I'm not for sale. The church is not for sale. And I'm not trying to cast dispersions. But this is not a business and you're not a customer. And the customer is not always right. So if your attitude and disposition and theology and practice is wrong, I'm going to address it. And if you leave the church, so be it. But I love you. And the only good that is here for any of us is if we fully follow Jesus and please him. And listen, I'm not mad. I'm just on mission. So, so with that, don't send me letters and tell me what other pastors and churches are doing. Most of them are already my friends, and I already know. <laughs> I'm here to tell you what we're doing. And church... In general, we Christians right now in this country are missing it. We're missing it. And I'm going to tell you why. I wrote it down because I want to say it wrong. We are bringing cultural hostility into the church in place of Christ's unity, and it's not pleasing to God. I'll say it again. might not have heard it. We are bringing cultural hostility that is under the surface into the church in place of Christ's unity, and it's not pleasing to God. Honestly, I think, men and women, that what's under the surface is a level of hostility from this perfect storm and this hurricane, and God's watching the church, and he, Jesus is like, ain't my church. <laughs> that is not grace and peace. I have a lot of opinions about what I believe God is doing. I have a lot of prompts from God in prayer. I never speak publicly. It might be right now that God is cleaning up the church through the pandemic and revealing who his church really is. Might be. But I know this. The hostility that sits between groups of people was resolved by Jesus for the church. Not for everyone outside the church. You have to come into the church to get this result. Look at, look what Paul wrote. Now I'll address this in greater detail when we get to chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Ephesians. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of what? 
hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. And Paul goes on by the inspiration of the Spirit. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, making what everybody? Peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them, that is Jews and Gentiles, to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Gentiles and Jews couldn't get along. They had a lot of ethnic hostility. They couldn't navigate it. Jesus resolved it. He didn't make Jews Gentiles. He didn't make Gentiles Jews. He made them into something new called the church. And there is unity in the church, not hostility. And that is our calling as a people. And we're supposed to go live this out. And I understand that the world has no choice. There's so much hostility under the surface, so much coming out in social media and everywhere. I understand it. What else are they going to do? All they can do is fight for themselves. But the church, this has no place because we have the grace and the peace of Christ, and we're supposed to live that out together. When you get the grace and the peace of Christ, you extend that to others. Listen, Marsha and I, we, we, don't always, we don't always see eye to eye, but we extend grace and peace because we're family. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your first citizenship is in heaven. Check it out. In Ephesians, so then, you Gentiles are not foreigners or strangers any longer. You are now what? Citizens say it. You are now what? Citizens together with God's people and members of the family of God. You too are built upon the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets, the cornerstone being Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself. So I'm going to say it again. If you're a follower of Christ, your first citizenship is in heaven. Your second citizenship, citizenship is your nation. Quit confusing those. Right. Hostility that is below the surface in this perfect storm cannot translate into two 12 stoners on social media fighting each other with such hostility when you used to serve together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Go clean that up and stop the insanity on social media. Have you forgotten what's on the line? Do you know what's on the line? It's a spiritual war. Look what Paul was writing about. What's on the line is a spiritual war for our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Listen, our primary battle is not the pandemic. It is not politics, though I know it's a real battle and a real war. I get it. I understand it. But men and women, the real war is underneath it. It's spiritual. It's not racial unrest. It's Satan dividing people. And we got to be honest to God about what's broke here. Yes, there are real things that have to be addressed. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing that. When I say I'm your pastor, not your politician, I'm not saying that we have nothing to say in the arena of politics. What I'm saying is if the church would get it right, we have something to say to the world. But we have nothing to say to the world if we don't figure out what's online, how to get it right in ourselves. And by the way, when people lecture me and tell me what I need to do as a pastor in the arena of politics, let me just be really clear. When Jesus came, he was invited to join politics, and he never did. He just served the kingdom of God because it's a higher calling. Let, well, here's what I mean. 
Jesus never created a political movement and the gospel was birthed in a nation that was under oppression under Rome and Jesus never solved the oppression yet the gospel blew up in a big way in a powerful way in a forceful way and the apostle Paul didn't go organize everybody because he was in prison unjustly though he was he wrote the letter to Ephesians from prison and instead of talking about what was unfair to him he said let's get it right in the kingdom get it right in the world and then we can solve all the other political problems but the church should lead the way in unity not hostility that's all I'm saying that's all I'm saying that mean we can't have the conversations Listen, your faith should affect how you vote. I think you should vote, but I'm not going to go have the conversations this season. I'm doing something different in the next 50 days because it was a prompt of God. So he's going to, he's going to make me be quiet for a while on some things. Maybe the rest of us as well. I know it's difficult to pick a person. Nobody can stand in the character of what it means to be president in this nation anymore because they go back to your middle school years to see if you lack character. Good Lord, you couldn't be voted in either. If you want to know what was going on in my mind in middle school, well, you just need to march me off the platform. If you want to know every sin I committed in my teenage years and following, or the sinful thoughts that went through my mind in the last month, I'm out. Look, I know it's difficult to pick a person. I can't pick one hardly. So, so I go after policy. I've talked about this before, but I'm not going after it this year because we have lost the ability in this culture to have a reasonable, sane conversation with differences of opinion, and it's sad. It's just sad. So what's on the line is the kingdom of God to transform souls, families, and communities. So we're going to do something different. Here was the prompt of God. We're going to honor it next 50 days, starting September 15th, this Tuesday through November 3rd, I am going to fast and pray. Here's what I mean by fast and pray. It's very distinct. I'm going to fast political posts on social media, and that means 12 stone social media, and I've asked the staff to join me. We are not going to add to the hostility. We're not posting. We're not liking. We're not thumbs upping. We're just not joining that side of the conversation because intentionally or unintentionally, it adds to hostility. We're going to fast political posts on social media. You do what you want. You might want to join it. And I'm going to pray. When I say pray, here's what I mean. 12 Stone Online, we're going to pray at 12 noon every day for 12 minutes. Every weekday, we're going to stop in the middle of the day. We're going to humble ourselves before the Lord. In all our humanity, we're going to say, God, the only one that can fix this nation, which is truly broken and at war, is you. This is not passive. This is active. we got to do something, and this is the most powerful thing we can probably do together as a church. Look, 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 look what Paul did. Look, look what he said at, at the end of his teaching in Ephesians. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. When Paul was going after this, he's saying, now listen, the most practical and powerful thing that we can do together is pray. Church, we're going to pray. And if you think that's passive, that's one of the things that's broken. It's the most powerful, practical thing we could do. By the way, when my friend wrote the note to me about the VUCA hurricane force, the next line was, so I'm going to pray for you. And I didn't take that as meaningless. I'm like, thank God. So what are we going to post? Maybe what we should do is just post one prayer. So 
maybe this is all we post, Heavenly Father. Like, if I got to post on social media, I just now insert this in all my social media political posts. Heavenly Father, lead us into unity. Teach us to honor one another and start with me. Help our country as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen, and be done with it. You see a political post, just put that in there and say, we're praying. We're asking God to do what only God can do. Huh. I got to be quiet. Let me just remind you that our first citizenship is heaven. Our calling is unity over hostility. I hope you'll join in the 50 days. And remember, when things are over your head, they're still in his hands. Pray with me, Father, for your kindness and your mercy really for your grace and peace. We give you great thanks. We're in the middle of a war in this country. It's a serious war. We need your help. Maybe right now there's a whole bunch of people saying, I, I got to join that. I got to put my heavenly citizenship first. I got to put unity over hostility. God, help me deal with what's below the surface. God, would you do such a supernatural work over these next 50 days? that you begin to transform our country at a whole new level. But let it start with us. May we walk with a unity above hostility unlike any other time. For your honor and glory in Christ's name, amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.